everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I am Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson. How is everyone doing this week? Good. Right. Warm. Yes, yes, it's very hot. It's hot it as hell. <laughs> that actually segues very nicely to promote Extend Trade. Oh, no. Uh, because 43 years ago today... And if we have any older listeners out there, they're probably kicking themselves because it was 43 years ago. But uh, we had the famous 1977 uh, New York City blackout. Mm. Um, the Mets were literally in the middle of a game when it happened. It was around 9.30 p.m., the bottom of the sixth inning, and everything went dark. And the craziest thing, I think, is that if you go back to see the box scores of that game, Jerry Kuzman threw eight innings. He gave up four runs, and he was outdueled by Ray Boris, who threw a complete game and gave up two runs. The crazy thing is the game is obviously suspended, and when they resumed it in September, they actually had those same two guys go back onto the mound and continue pitching. Hmm, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. So Boris threw a complete game on two separate days, which is crazy. I wonder how many times that's happened. Oh, <sighs> Probably a lot more than yeah, that you would expect in, in those early days. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is some eighteen ninety eight energy. Game when, called an account of uh, sundown. <laughs> I feel like that was a fairly common thing until yeah, like, I think it was yeah the eighties or something. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It might be the most recent one of the most recent um, ones. Like it probably happened after a few times, but yeah. That's funny. But anyway, so if you were at Chase Stadium and you happened to be on the ele- in, in the elevator when the power went out, oh, while no. you'd be in the elevator, I don't know, because I never took the elevators, but what famous 1977 celebrity would you want to be stuck in the elevator with? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so we have Mark Hamill, we have okay. Sylvester Stallone, and we have John Travolta. These are all guys that were kind of... This is super easy, Steve. Like this, this one's a joke. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm extending Mark Hamill, uh, promoting Stallone and trading Travolta as far away as I possibly can. You know? Yeah, I think I do the same. Can I trade both Stallone and? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) I don't want to hang out with either of them. I also I extended Hamill, but I traded I traded Sylvester Stallone because why would you want to be stuck in an elevator with him? I would be like, why would you want to be stuck in an elevator with John Travolta? (laughs) At the time, he was not a Scientologist. I don't think Scientology even existed, so he was probably more normal. That's what they want you to think. Yeah, that's John true. Travolta listening to the podcast is doing that GIF from, yeah. uh, from uh, uh, Pulp Fiction. Like John Travolta, what? do not come on the show. Please no. Noted uh, Mets minor league enthusiast John Travolta. <laughs> I would have to say, if John Travolta wanted to come on the show, I think we could probably give him a couple of minutes just to help ratings and whatnot. Yeah, it'd be entertaining. I don't know what the <laughs> hell I'd ask him. I would ask him his opinions on Matthew Allen. Uh-huh. <laughs> just real hard hitting questions about about the minor league system. And Mark he's like, Hamill would be about? like, I'm trying to think of a celebrity, and I'm someone who like, I don't like generally have a great desire to meet celebrities. Uh, I'm trying to think of any single celebrity I'd rather spend 15 minutes in an elevator with than Mark Hamill. Yeah, that'd be cool. He would definitely be very entertaining. Obviously, he would have all his Star Wars stories, and then he's just a pretty entertaining guy, period. He's got all the Joker stories. That's true. Well, this is 1977, so we're probably getting the the Batman cartoon. True, true, true. True. Uh, You could just predict his entire... So do we know? Are we we time travelers, Steve? Where we're no. back in time, and yeah, we're no, because can can we tell him his life story before it happens and on this elevator, and then for the rest of his life he's like, whoa. That dude, never is this some sort of future? elevator? You can't do that. <laughs> That's true, actually. Is this some sort of elevator to the future? <laughs> or elevator between dimensions? Well, what, I've what never, are the rules of this? I've never taken the elevator in Chase Stadium, so I can only imagine the condition it would okay. have been in. So it might take so you can't the even, dimension. Holy, holy shit. Uh, uh, New Hope was like 
three weeks before this. Can you imagine oh, wow. how incredible that would be? You're like the cultural phenomena that was New Hope is still like actively happening, and you're in an elevator with Mark Hamill. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark Hamill's at a Mets game. Wild, wild. Uh, that'd be <laughs> incredible. I feel like Mark Hamill would be. I could see him being a Mets fan. I mean, the whole Star, Luke Skywalker fought against a, a terrible empire. Uh-huh. Exactly. The Yankees. Yeah, he did. The Yankees at the time were, you know, it was the late, late 70s, so they were starting Empire Mode right there. Mm-hmm. So the Mets would be the Rebel Alliance. A ragtag bunch of uh, really crappy people. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do wonder, like Mark Hamill these days, super dope dude, really great career, seems like a generally good guy. I uh, no idea what he was like back then. Who knows? Yeah, uh, yeah. Who yeah, knows? I I'll, I I think I'd roll the dice with him though. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The risk reward ratio is is in yeah, that direction there. <laughs> For sure. All right. <clears throat> uh, we'll move over to some Asian baseball updates now. And the Una Lions went two and three this week, and that brings them to twenty six and thirty three on the year. And the CPBL uses a split season format. So the first half is just about over. So with a uh, 26 and 33 record, there will be no postseason berth for them. But maybe they'll do better in the second half. Uh, the hitter of the week for the fourth time now was Chi Chie Su. <laughs> Put <laughs> him went, in the hall. Yeah, he went 7 for 19 with three doubles, a homer, five RBI, two walks, four strikeouts, and three stolen bases. Nice. And the pitcher of the week for the third time is Josh Renicky. He wasn't that great, but he was good enough. Uh, he allowed three runs over five innings. He allowed ten hits, he walked two, and he struck out seven. The LG Twins are continuing their terrible June. <laughs> they went two, three, and one. There was a tie. What? Uh-huh. Nice. Why are there let's, ties? Let's go. Are there ties in baseball? They, I, I agree, but at the same time with you know, coronavirus and everything, and they already lost, like, a month of the season. They basically want to just kind of expedite things as much as they can. There is ties in Japan for, like, a long time, though. Like, it's a long-standing part of their game. Yeah. After 12 innings, then it's just a tie. Man, those 18-inning marathon games, like, everyone loves to complain about them, but there's something special about them. I love them, yes. I hate them in the moment because I just want to go to bed. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, like it's really bad when you have recap. I, you don't want to yeah, see. I was yeah. gonna say oh, I yeah. hate them very badly when I'm writing anything about them. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I love those Las Vegas 51s extra inning games. Oh, oh, oh my god. Oh boy. <laughs> That's the only time I would actively root against my team. <laughs> it was like, please, there was definitely a please game. give up a home run. <laughs> I beg of you. There, there was a game. And I'm saying this like it's a unique incident. There's definitely a, at least a couple games a year when I'm doing the farm report and, and our team at whatever level is rallying in the bottom of the ninth. I'm like, please no. Just, <laughs> just lose. Just get this over with so I don't have to stay. I just keep doing this. Those are like when you're like breaking out uh, the MLA format to cite the game that you just had to recap because it's uh-huh. so long. It's uh-huh. like six paragraphs. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh yes, this, and then, and then this happened, and I'm like, oh, I forgot about this entire inning because it's now 3 a.m. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, there's one side benefit I hadn't considered of the whole cut the minor league teams thing. Shorter farm reports. Oh yeah, our farm reports. I'm all for it now! I'm on board! <laughs> oh. Cut the Ooh. minor leagues! We're gonna breeze through them. That's Trade. it. I'm on board. Alright, anyway. well. Yeah, um, so the Twins are 30, 27, and 1 for the year now, so they are, it. yeah, that's almost, almost 500 when they started out, like, quite, uh, quite a few games above 500 for the month, so. Hater of the week, uh, fourth time again, is Hyunsu Kim. He went 9 for 23 with a double, 3 homers, 11 RBI, 4 walks, and 2 strikeouts. And the pitcher of the week, is Chan Hyung Jung. He is the veteran swingman you might remember who went 12 years between his first and second wins as a starter. So he gave up two runs over six innings this week in his start. 
He allowed seven hits. He walked one. He struck out seven. And he is four and one on the year. So he's racking up those wins finally. Yeah, he was like, I hated that last thing. <laughs> and last but not least are the Occult Swallows. And they went three, one, and one. Another tie. And nice. also had a, a rain postponement. So they're 10, 7, and 1 for the year. And the hitter of the week is Toma, Tomataka Sakaguchi, who went 7 for 21, all double, uh, all singles, with a stolen base. So it's to be like all doubles, damn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's that, what's that slugger look like? Um, yeah, 7 for 21, all singles, not exactly exciting. Uh, but wasn't really the best week uh, offensively for them. Sakaguchi is a veteran. Uh, he was actually drafted by the Osaka Kintetsu Buffaloes, a team that doesn't actually even exist anymore. Uh, they, I was they, ask, is that Oryx now? Or? Yeah, yep. They merged with the Oryx Blue Wave and became the Oryx Buffaloes in like 2003. So he broke in with them. Um, he didn't really become a regular until a couple of years later, and he became basically a, a lock to hit 300 or so for a couple of years. He dislocated his shoulder in 2012, and he missed most of the season. And when he came back, he just wasn't really the same guy, and he struggled for the next couple of years. And in 2016, he became a free agent. Basically, Oryx wanted to give him a pay reduction, because that is actually how it is done in Japan. You can get pay reductions based on your play. That's why. Um, yeah, so he, he he didn't want to pay reduction, obviously. Uh, Oryx wanted to. They couldn't come to an agreement, so he became a free agent, and he signed with the Swallows. And this change of scenery really did him good because after being like a 230 hit or so in those last couple of years that he's with the Buffaloes, he hit 295 in his first year with the Swallows and then 317 um, in his second. And last year he broke his handmate bone, so you can give him an asterisk for the bad you know, numbers that he put up, but it looks like he's, he's worked through it because a couple of weeks into the season, he's hitting 317, 449, 397. So that's, that's a solid batting line. Yeah. He'll take that. Yeah. Uh, back in his prime coaches said that his bat speed was comparable to that of Ichiro and they would know obviously because Ichiro mm-hmm. played on the blue wave until, uh, 2000 when it came to the U S but really, outside of his hit tool, he's kind of a one-dimensional guy. Doesn't hit for any power. Not much speed. Plays okay center field, but doesn't really have reputation of being like a whiz or anything like that. So yep. basically, a guy that gets on base, either either be a hit or walk, and then just lets the other guys do their thing, which is you know a, a, a useful player. There's certainly uses for people like that, especially in the NPB, where there's mm-hmm. so much more of an emphasis on small ball and moving runners around. Yeah, that's definitely a valuable dude in their lineup, where here he might not be. And uh, Pitcher of the Week is Yasuhiro Ogawa, the ace who was nicknamed Ryan because of his <laughs> Nolan Ryan-esque mechanics. That was Pitcher <laughs> of the Week uh, at the beginning uh, of, of the season. And he allowed two runs over six innings. He walked... Oh, excuse me, he allowed five hits, he walked one, and struck out six. So, a solid outing mm-hmm. from him. Very messy and all around, you know? Yep. Uh, now we have some player news on the Mets front. Um, Jacob Brame, who's claimed by the Angels. And uh, the Mets... Excuse me, that's Jacob, best closer in the system, Rame. That's, Lucas, that's true. it's Jacob Rame calling... Proven closer. Ah, oh, oh, that's it. Does he get the TM at the end of that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, he, he got replaced with Riley Gilliam. I think that Gilliam was going to be added to the roster anyway because they still have like 20 names to add to it. Yeah. And Do you think really... that's an upgrade or a downgrade? It's an upgrade. <sighs> I don't know. I think it's an um... upgrade. It's uh yeah I don't I don't know Gilliam. is it in the hall of things that don't really matter yeah. probably yeah <laughs> I it's just I I say it so definitively because I guess I don't want to say it's an upgrade it's more like I know what Rame is but right yeah I yep. don't know what Gilliam is yet yet uh, like, I, I have I, a best. pretty good idea yes but... me too but the <laughs> you chance need to of, see it first yeah yes. I would like <laughs> I would rather the opportunity yeah yeah I don't I don't want to just throw him out there and be like terrible like automatically get him away from me like mm-hmm. in a season like this and with the weird depth that the Mets have 
you might as well. He was already pretty much guaranteed to get a look at some point this year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Even I, if we had if we had a normal season, he would be Oh yeah, for sure. knocking on the door. I I wrote up the the news thing for Rame. Completely forgot he got hurt until I was looking him up. Like he had surgery in the off season. Didn't remember oh. it at all. Oh, I mean, no offense to him, but he's a kind of yeah. I was guy. I was just like, oh, he got hurt. I totally forgot, and then I I remembered after the fact, like it was in August or whatever. But still, yeah, I mean, best of luck to him. But he was yeah. he was never really good. No, it's kind of funny. We'd probably talk about Gilliam putting up some. Very nice peripherals in his brief time in the minors, and Rame has better peripherals. That's no. funny. That's funny. Not <laughs> no. not necessarily better, but similar. No, that's yeah. why. That's where we're all kind of uh, whether or not it's an upgrade or not. Him. Um. So, let's see. So, it's a Gilliam. Prospect. Yeah, Gilliam was ranked 19th on our 2020 list. Me and Thomas had him 19, and Lucas and Ken both had him 24. So it's kind of weird congruency there. He was drafted in the fifth round of the 2018 draft at a Clemson. He was their closer. He was actually one of the best closers in in the entire NCAA that year. Um, After he signed, he spent the summer in Brooklyn. And then last season, he started out in St. Lucie. He got promoted bingo and then ended the year in Syracuse. And the numbers in St. Lucie were great. They were okay in Binghamton and not that great in Syracuse. Yep. And main reason is that the fastball just isn't really like explosive. Um, he's five ten, so he's on the smaller side, and he, you know, he gives it his all. He has a kind of slingy delivery, but he gives it his all. But even with that, it's like ninety one, ninety four, which isn't the greatest, but it's not terrible either. But it's just kind of a flat pitch. Doesn't have much plane. And because of his mechanics, he doesn't have the best command of it either. Really, his curveball is the best pitch that he throws, I think. It's a really nice, tight 12-6 breaker. But again, just because of his his mechanics, command just isn't the best. It's a very good pitch that could be an out pitch if he had, you know, decent command of it. Yeah. And then he also has a changeup and a cutter, but... They're they're just kind of occasionally, and he's mainly a, a fastball curveball guy. Yeah, it's and also based, why I kind of have always liked him is um, if he you know could possibly find a, a, a streak of command, you know, even for just like a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Based he would, on the, it would the, be that useful. pitch has real potential. Based mm-hmm. on just nothing else except for the stuff, he he can be an effective reliever. Not necessarily, I, I think, like... I just don't maybe, know if it's likely. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't think he could be like a high-leverage reliever. You know, I wouldn't trust him, but I think he could definitely get outs. But the margin of error is just so slim that I don't know how... Not something you want to project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not how... I don't know how regularly he'll be able to get those outs. But I, I tend to agree there. Yeah. I mean... It's it's kind of a lateral move between him and Jacob Rame. I don't think you know either if if either one would if either one of them was getting you know the call out of the bullpen as yeah. the first guy, then things have already gone so hard. <laughs> <laughs> we have a whole other set of problems. Yeah, I mean the the Mets bullpen on paper is pretty set up in terms of depth so if a guy like Ram or if a guy like Gilliam is is getting the call in those tense moments then not good yeah they they should like unless I, don't, I, I find it I find it especially in a short season it's going to be hard for the Mets to get that low in the bullpen depth so quickly but you never know I mean conversely you might just be so taxed from... Yeah, that's true, actually. I, yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying, though. I don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah, that's that's a good point, too. And, like, they, they signed, like, Jared Hughes and stuff, who's had, good, like, solid seasons. Like, he's not going to be an MVP. I, I think it's good that they're stocking up on guys like that. I would... Yeah, I, those are the type of dudes who I don't This is them. the kind of year where you might just need, like, five bullpen dudes out of nowhere, you know? For you know, sure. I was writing up Walker Lockett's uh, season preview today, 
right before we came on, actually. Gotta get hyped for Walker Lockett, you know? Um, <laughs> it's really exciting. And it's like, you look at their depth chart right now, it's like, okay, we have the 13 depth guys, that doesn't mean, and, and that's better than they usually do, it doesn't mean they have quote-unquote good depth. It's like, yo, look at the yeah. Braves. They have, oh, yeah. Like, their 16th arm is better than our 7th. Yeah, the Braves are so stacked. Yeah. Well, if, if you yeah. compare the Mets to a Braves in a lot of different ways, they're going to come up short, unfortunately. Yeah. Their lineup's better. Top Those, of the uh, big market Atlanta Braves. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Noted money spenders. I've been to Atlanta once, and I really don't remember anything about it, so. I've been to Atlanta. Really made an impression. I saw <laughs> Turner Field, like, two months before they blew it up. Oh, yeah, I've been to Turner Field. I like to think uh, that I exercised the demons that haunted that place. Oh, geez, I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get into the fight, but I was with people that did get into fights at Turner Field, so. As one does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> per, per yeah. Uh, tradition. Uh, off-duty NYPD cop fans definitely do get into a lot of, uh, practices. <laughs> but that is neither here nor there. So, as we know, the Kingsport Mets are going to be contracted, barring some miracle. Uh, it's not just the Kingsport Mets, though, that are going to find themselves disappearing. It's the entire Appalachian League, pretty much. Uh, it's going to be ended by Major League Baseball. And it's a shame, obviously, because they, they're denying people the ability to see games, fun games. But believe it or not, the history of the Appalachian League, and I didn't really realize this until I started looking into it, but the, the league is over 100 years old. It is uh, very, very old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the original Appalachian League, it was established in 1911, and it had six teams, some of which are going to make me laugh. There's the Asheville Moonshiners. Excellent. What a name. Excellent. That is an excellent name. We they are starting the, strong, everyone. There were the Bristol Boosters. <laughs> there were the Cleveland Counts, the Johnson City Soldiers, the Knoxville Appalachians, and my favorite, the Morristown Jobbers. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can only hope that they were the perennial losers. <laughs> Um, That's great. That incarnation of the league lasted until 1914, and then it disbanded in the middle of uh, the season when two of the teams did not have any uh, money left, and they just folded. So the next incarnation of the Appalachian League was started in 1921. This one had six teams now. Again, there were the Bristol State Liners, the Cleveland Manufacturers... (laughs) Wait a minute. That's my favorite. <laughs> the manual. So did they do a lot of bunting and small wall? They manufactured so. runs? I hope so. Someone rim shot uh, that. The Greenville Burley Cats. The Johnson City Soldiers. The yeah. Kingsport Indians. And the Knoxville Pioneers. Two things to note here. A, Johnson City Soldiers. They had the same yeah, name. As, yeah, but it's completely separate. Organization, completely separate people, completely separate everything. And B, the the Bristol State Liners. Bristol uh, is actually a city that's in two different states. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's Virginia and Tennessee, and the state line runs right through the uh, the aptly named State Street. So you could literally be, you know, two different states when you cross the street, which is which is crazy. But does it run through the middle of the stadium? Therefore. The state it liners should. play in two different states at the same time. Well, Did I they fold? Know. Because if so, that's probably the reason why. <laughs> I don't know where exactly their stadium was. I'm I'm assuming that it is no longer uh, there. Yeah. I, I <laughs> hot take. <laughs> <laughs> but that incarnation of the Appalachian League ran from 1921 to 1925. There was about a decade of dormancy, and then in 1937, they restarted. This time it had four teams. The Johnson City Show. <laughs> <laughs> there were the Elizabethan Betsy Red Sox. Not really sure. Okay. Yeah. There were the Newport Canners. These names there are great. Was the Pennington Gap Lee Bears. <laughs> and my favorite, 
the Johnson City Soldiers. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, <Nailed it. laughs> perfect. I just want to say that these names. Anyone who complains about weird minor league names, like right here, we're talking about mm-hmm. the canners and the manufacturers. <laughs> so the like, don't forget the joggers. So like. The Cyclones could be like the pizza slices for a night or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, but Thomas Rumble Ponies. Yeah, but that's actually good. Is it? <laughs> I, I voted for Stud Muffins, if I'm going to be perfect. <laughs> <Not> stud Muffins. <laughs> Yard Goats. Um, so funny. It's already taken. Yeah. In like Dunkin' Donuts Stadium uh, Field, I think it Yep. Great. Listen, Perfect. the team name being taken did not stop the Johnson City soldiers. <laughs> no, it so. didn't. Clearly, they're gonna they like, fight over it. They were like third times, th- third times the charm, boys. This one's gonna last. We're gonna be the soldiers forever. <laughs> so, other teams were added uh, in 1956. Those year of inactivity, and then 1957, it took the form that we're familiar with today: short season league. Mm-hmm. So, currently. The league has or, or had, I guess, 10 teams. In the East Division, there's the Bluefield Blue Jays, the Burlington Royals, the Danville Braves, the Princeton Rays, and the Pulaski Yankees. And in the West Division, there was the Bristol Pirates, the Elizabethan Twins, Greenville Reds, Johnson City Cardinals, and the Kingsport Mets. And clearly, all of the... Uh, Creativity that people had a century ago <laughs> disappeared. Hey Steve, um, what teams did those guys belong? To, the, the, those organizations belong to? I'm not quite clear. I know it, it would be <laughs> nice if they made things a little more apparent there. They're actually all mis- mixed up, and no one knows. <laughs> Johnson City Cardinals, an affiliate of the Blue Jays. <laughs> uh, so. The Mets have been partnering with Kingsport since 1980, and that 40-year partnership was actually one of the oldest relationships in all of the minor leagues. It was the eighth longest, specifically. Uh, only the Johnsonville, excuse me, only the Johnson City Cardinals, the Billings Mustangs, the Elizabethan Twins, the Pawtucket Red Sox, the Omaha Storm Chasers, the Lakeland Tigers, and the Reading Fighting Phils are the only teams that have longer, um, steady affiliations with just one team. So, obviously, because Kingsport was with the Mets for so long, and in, you know, the 1980s, the Mets had a couple of good players here and there. Um, you know, there are quite a fair share of guys that Kingsport saw that had above-average professional careers, like mm-hmm. all-star level. Uh, Daryl Strawberry, Doc Gooden, Greg Jeffries, Kevin Mitchell, Randy Myers, Jason Isringhausen, Preston Wilson, A.J. Burnett, Jose Reyes, David Wright, Heath Bell, Daniel Murphy, Carlos Gomez, and most recently, Jacob deGrom. And there's there's been some other that's players a, that have... It's a pretty legit pool. Yeah. And then guys that were, you know, kind of Mets legends or whatever you want to call it that weren't necessarily like the greatest baseball players of all time, but Andy Chavez, Mike Jacobs, Angel Pagan, Lastings Millage, uh, the late great Brian Cole. And I found this one was, was hilarious. Uh, he didn't make much of a mark, but Ronald Acuna Sr. Yes. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yes. He's like a kind of like a, Low, a low key big deal baseball card because there's like an Acuna Senior Mets card, and it's Is there just really? like huh. yeah, and it's like he he signed some of them too. Like they had him in the signature circulation, so like you could get a Ronald Acuna Senior signature, which is like. <laughs> Pretty. That, that's like one of those weird, cool ones because it's really just because how good his son is. Obviously, yeah, exactly. I mean, he had he owes everything to his kid. <laughs> like because like that card was probably like ten, fifty cents before Acuna got really good, but like now it's like not super expensive. But it's like it's like, like a novelty fun one. Went from fifty cents to five dollars. Not bad. That is an exponential increase. Look at that. Stonks. Someone calculate the ROI on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
1988, they won their first Appalachian League championship, and then they won again in 1995, and they went to the finals in 96, but they lost to the Bluefield Blue Jays. Then they had a playoff drought in the late 90s and 2000s, but they got back in to it in 2013 when they lost to the Greenville Astros in the semifinals that year. They went back in 2015, and same thing happened. They lost to the Greenville Astros in the semifinals. In 2018, they made the playoffs, but they lost to now the Elizabethan Twins in the semifinals. And then last season, which I guess is going to be their very last season, they went an even 34-34, and 34, which was good enough for second place in the division. But they just barely missed out of getting into the playoffs, and they were eliminated... Literally on the last day of the season, which is a big Mets thing. Um, <laughs> Did their yeah. starter give up seven runs? Uh, Did their stadium yeah. Guys, can we never speak of that, that game? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't have the the I don't have it open in front of me, but I remember Junior Santos was starting, and he gave up like four, five runs or something the first couple of innings, and then the team fought back and tied it, and then the bullpen just kind of let it go. And in the ninth inning, Andres Renault hit a home run, and I think that made it a 9-7 to game. And then Wilfred Estudillo, who never strikes out, struck out to end the game. So, Womp Yeah. Um, so they played at Hunter Wright Stadium. Uh, I will say it is... It is little bit of a basic Spartan stadium, but it was cozy. You know, there wasn't, like, constant music and PA noise. There weren't all those non-baseball random things going on to entertain people. Food wasn't gourmet. Um, you know, you were there to see a ball game, and you, most of the time, got a, a good ball game, especially if you're interested in kind of experiencing baseball and, you know, watching and, and just watching the development of these guys since it was the rookie levels and so low in their developmental uh, ladder and everything. Yeah. Um, stadium that opened in 1995, and you know who was the first uh, winning pitcher in Hunter Wright Stadium? Uh, Doc Gooden? No. Oh, no, 85. Hmm. I got nothing. Yeah, I have no idea. Can is it anything? I'm I'm b refing as we speak. Oh, that's <laughs> cheating. Well, it's like I'll just you... passed the wave of 86 pitchers, right? Like they shouldn't be there anymore. So I'll <sighs> give you a I'll give you a clue. You're not going to find it on BB ref. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> The first game that was played in Hunter Wright Stadium was not a minor league baseball game. It oh. was it was an NCAA game. Alright, so who's a notable college pitcher in eighty five? All right. Correct. That is yes. correct. What? How? <laughs> he was pitching for the University of Tennessee against Virginia Tech in the inaugural game That's awesome. that opened up Hunter Wright Stadium. Yep. Praise that was pre-discovery that he had Praise no Dickie. ligament, pre-knuckleball. Right, that was actually like uh, flamethrower, already, Dickie. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's fun. So, as a as a whole, uh, Kingsport's a pretty nice place, I guess. When I visited it, I only spent like a week there. Then the majority of the time was either at the Airbnb or the stadium. Or eating and shopping, but I had a pleasant time. Went to Sonics for the first time. It was good. <laughs> uh, I went to Hardee's for the first time. Also good. Oh, uh, I've never been, I've never been to one of those. Yeah, you that's why it was... Arby's. I hear they have the meats. <laughs> that's why when I saw Hardee's, I was like, oh, wow, Hardee's. I am constantly bombarded by the commercials, but I have <laughs> no opportunity to go because there are none, so... <laughs> I better take this uh, chance. It was good. Um, 
went to a place called Freddy's, which is kind of like a classic burger joint. Um, had good, uh, what is it called? Frozen custard. Mm. And just nice. the most random thing, uh, me and my brother, he went with me and we were just eating. And the manager or the assistant manager, whoever it was, um, walked up to us and asked if we were from Jersey because I had a Kate May shirt on. And it turns out that of all places, this random guy was a transplant from huh. like somewhere in North Jersey, North Jersey, like Bergen County, I think, or, or Monmouth or whatever. And of all places, I meet this dude in. That's awesome. A small food establishment in the middle of Appalachia. <laughs> That's awesome. And you can tell that he's definitely has lived there for a while because would you ever approach uh, someone at a restaurant just randomly that you don't know? No. Because, uh, yeah, I would Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> From afar, I'd be like, oh, a Kate May shirt, and then never talk about it again. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, people are a bit more friendly <laughs> down there. Um, but yeah, so with all this discussion about Kingsport, though, we should note that there is a chance that one of the teams is going to be spared, the Pulaski Yankees. Um, of course it's the Yankees. <laughs> right, well, um, you know, the, just like the Mets are, are shifting affiliates to make sure that the Cyclones are going to get bumped out of the New York Penn League, supposedly the Yankees are going to be shuffling things around to make sure that the Pulaski team survives, so I guess that's going to be the death of the Charleston River Dogs, who is their low ale affiliate. And I've never been to Charleston, um, but I have been to Pulaski, and it definitely is worth saving that stadium and, and that town and everything. It's like Rust Belt nice, if that's, if that's a polite way of saying things, even though it's not the Rust Belt, but that kind of uh, quaint imagery or whatever you want to however you want to call it. But I was reading in the Kingsport Times News that the Kingsport Mets generated about a million dollars in revenue from the community. So, I mean, you're you're basically having a million dollars taken out from all of these communities in the Tri-Cities area and just, you know, the greater Appalachian area there. And Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, these are communities that aren't necessarily like booming, you know, towns or nothing like that. So a loss of a million dollars in re- in revenue is is a is a hit. Yeah, that sucks. And it's just like that's it's just not good. I mean, I don't know how many other ways to say that yeah. what we've been saying for months and months and months now just it's a, it's a terrible plan and it's just going to be impacting Millions of people out there, tens of millions of people out there negatively, and it's going to be benefiting 30 people, give or take, you know. Basically that, yeah. Yeah. 30 owners or ownership groups and nobody else. From players to coaching staff to fans to local businesses, everybody is getting screwed. Not what you want to see. Not a good way, not the best way to grow the game. Not at all. My lighthearted jokes about shorter farm reports aside, like this is very bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. it sucks. For sure. And it's sad because like that's a hundred years of baseball history, whether it's not it's not major league baseball history, but that's this is just as important and it's gone and then like I don't know, it just sucks. Yep, and I mean there is the chance that the weird, amorphous, not very well-explained concept of the Dream League actually does happen, and these teams get second lives as independent teams that are partially subsidized by uh, Major League Baseball, but who knows? I mean, that was mentioned in the initial plans and then just quickly forgotten about and never mentioned again because it's just a stupid, stupid concept. But if that is the case, I can only hope that the Johnson City team... Gets their fourth incarnation of the soldiers. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they, they deserve it. Nice to know some things never change. Mm-hmm. It has to be in like the bylaws of the Appalachian League that in order to start the league, there has to be one team named the soldiers. And, John, and Johnson City was like us. That that that's us. 
and for whatever it's worth, uh, Eastern Tennessee was very pro-Union, so there wouldn't be Confederate soldiers either, which is good. That is a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, any uh, any last words for the week here? Something that occurred to me just now while you were talking is um, mm-hmm. basically Brian Cole's like last remaining connections to baseball will be disappearing. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he had the. Uh, I mean, I guess Port St. Lucie, but he had a big year with um, Kingsport, I believe. That kind of put him on the map and ended his career before his, you know, unfortunate accident at Bingo. So I don't know if it even was Port St. Lucie. I think it still might have been. What's the other place that they had? I'm drawing a blank here. Let's uh, find out. I keep thinking Jefferson. That's that's not. It's where the Yankees' place is. Uh, Pittsfield? No. So that was where he went after. No, where, no where St. Lucie Mets. Was it St. Lucie? Okay. Yeah, he started his career in Kingsport, played for something called the Pittsfield Mets for a little bit, and then, um, oh, the Capital City Bombers? Is that what you're thinking of? No, no, no. I was just thinking of how he left spring training, and that's where, you know, after leaving spring training was where his, it was the accident, and I was just... Oh, Norfolk, I think you're thinking of. No, just where, where the Yankees spring training facility is. I know that... It's in Tampa, isn't it? The Yankees? St. Pete's. St. Pete's, yes. That's where I thought the Mets, the Mets used to have their... Oh, I, I don't know. A little, a little before this. That was like yeah. where they used to train in like the, the late 80s teams. Yeah, okay, okay. Oh, I mean, obviously, I if he was if he was on St. Lucie Mets, then obviously they were at St. Lucie. Oh, yeah, but, but... It was just annoying me that I couldn't remember the other place. Hey, everybody. I'm now joined by Kingsport Mets number one super fan. I don't know what else to call him. Mr. Mark Davis. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing good. Um, I call you a super fan. I don't think there's any other better way to describe it, uh, at least in a in a baseball context. Anyway, how many Kingsport Mets games have you been to for people who aren't familiar with you on Twitter or anything? Uh, yeah, sure. I've uh, started uh, going in the 2000 season. And since then, I've been to 804 games, so a little over 800 games, um, and been to all the Appalachian League ballparks, of course, during that time. That is extremely impressive. Yeah, you know, I just kind of, uh, you know, w- once I hit my 500th game, you know, it just kind of started uh, to sound like a lot, you know. And, uh, you know, ever since I started going, I just started keeping track of all the games I've been to and, you know, kind of keep a notebook on each season uh, that happened. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a lot. I have seen a lot of baseball. So you're from Kingsport? Yes, born and raised right here in Kingsport, Tennessee. Uh, I gotta say, uh, last year when I, I went down there with my brother and I don't know any other better way to describe the city in the area than just, ah, it was just very relaxing. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, we're a, you know, we're a very small, small city, you know, uh, but we're a close knit community. Uh, more like a family, I guess you would say. Uh, but it's a great area to live in. Uh, you know, it's just a, a simple city without all the busyness that a large city would have, I guess. So there's been a minor league team in Kingsport going back decades. Uh, people not, might not actually realize it, but the Appalachian League is over 100 years old. And oh, absolutely. Mets have been there since 1980, which is actually one of the one of the longest affiliations in baseball. And obviously the Mets have had some pretty solid players come up over the last four decades or so. So who are some oh, absolutely. who are some of your favorites that you've gotten to see over over the over the last four decades or so? Oh, you know, I mean, uh, I've been fortunate to see a lot of players come through Kingsport. Um, you know, even when I started in 2000, I got to see you know Jose Reyes. He started. Uh, you know, David Wright in 2001. Uh, players like Wilmer Flores and uh, you know even Jacob Degrom, uh, Jeff McNeil. Um, 
so many others. Uh, and I've got to know guys that, uh, you know, haven't made it to the major leagues yet. Uh, Garrison Bryant, Nate Peden, uh, Luis Gourmet, who, you know, is with the Mets now. And, uh, you know, just even a lot of their families too, you know, uh, getting to know players' families is just as special to me as getting to know the player themselves. But, you know, there's always standouts that you see every year. And, uh, it's, it's very fortunate that I get to see these guys starting, you know, their dreams. Uh, about a week or so ago, somebody kind of made the comparison to me that going to a minor league ball game is like seeing your favorite band became before they became big and then seeing them, you know, when they become big at a major league level, what do you, what do you think of that? Like, I feel like one of the main things that I like about the minor leagues the most is that it just feels so much more intimate that you can see the players and you can see them struggling and learning and developing and, they feel more like people than the major league stars. Yeah, that's, you know, you kind of take the words right out of my mouth there. You know, the intimacy that you see at this level uh, or, you know, throughout all minor leagues baseball, but at the rookie league, it's a little bit more special because these guys are, you know, away from their homes or even their countries for the first time. And uh, they're just, you know, starting out their dream of, of becoming a, a professional baseball player. Um it's it's very special um, this league and and the teams in it and uh, it's it's really an amazing opportunity that I have over the past twenty seasons uh, to be a part of that. So how about some of the games that you've gotten to go to home and away games? Are there any ones in particular that stand out to you? Oh well, you know, uh, opening opening day every year uh, is is such a special day. Uh, those are always a favorite game. You know, start of the new year. Uh, it's just it's a special feeling that you know it's hard to describe in words what you have at, a, at an opening day baseball game. But um, that's I love those every year, of course. Um, uh, seeing the Kingsport Mets uh, clinch the playoffs. Uh, and the division in 2013. That was the very first time that I had ever, uh, you know, had a had seen them win the division and make the playoffs. Uh, and then we went on to make the playoffs again in 2015 and 2018. Those playoff clinching games were were so special uh, to see, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed seeing that. Uh, I do remember um, when. Uh, uh, Johnson, uh, the Cardinals pitcher Rick Ankill, he got uh, uh, sent down here to the uh, rookie leagues as a rehab assignment, and I was at that game when he started to come down. We were we were playing the Cardinals at that time, and uh, that was kind of an amazing moment just to kind of see that whole situation. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, but you know, walk off wins. You know, every game is a special game. I mean, you know, win or lose, you, you see moments during every game that, you know, are special and uh, very memorable. But, you know, I will say some of those are, are especially important. Uh, I do have one uh, memory that I do like to uh, reminisce about. Um, it was in the 2011 season, the very last game of that season. Uh, the Mets were playing in Bristol, Tennessee at the time for their final uh, game of the season. And right before the game, uh, I was with my dad there. And of course, you know, we go to a lot of games together. And, uh, but before the game, uh, all the coaching staff and every player on the team, uh, came up to my dad and myself and shook our hands for, uh, the support that we'd give them that season. So that was a, that was a very special moment for both of us. See, just, just like we were saying before, the intimacy of minor league baseball, that is a great example. Yeah, that won't happen at a major league game, you know. Uh, so, so, but yeah, that was a that was a great moment, something I won't forget. And you know, you have countless moments like that every year, and uh, it's it's really good. So last year, uh, Kingsport and Pulaski, I think they struck gold with the tagline "the Big Apple Agent Rivalry" and all of that. And obviously, as a New Yorker, I think that rivalry is bigger for me because Mets, Yankees, and everything. Oh, but sure. As a Kingsport resident, uh, what are your favorite rivalries in the league? 
Well, you know, that's a good one since the Yankees, uh, you know, came, uh, came to the uh, Appalachian League. We kind of affiliate down here, but, uh, you know, for the past 20 years, uh, as, as far as Kingsport versus another team, I would definitely have to say one of the best rivalries is Kingsport versus the Twins affiliate in Elizabethan, Tennessee. Um, Elizabeth and you know they always have a, a very solid team. The Twins always put a good team there every year, and those games are always fierce and uh, very competitive, uh, very competitive uh, every year. So that to me is one of the biggest uh, division rivalries that we have here. Mm. Now Hunter Wright Stadium doesn't necessarily have the latest cutting edge technology and all of that, but to me it has such a good low key laid back atmosphere. It's like life is good. It's a beautiful day. I have a hot dog. I have a beer. Watching a ball game. Nothing else matters. I know right now on, I think it was the Baseball Digest website, they are in the finals in terms of best stadium in the uh, rookie level um, baseball. So where would you rank Hunter Wright on your list of favorite places to see a ball game? Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely is really one of the best ballparks in the league. You know, I've been, and I've been to every, every ballpark and I know I'm a little biased since it's my hometown, but, uh, you know, they've been done several enhancements the city has to that stadium over the past few years. And in, you know, regards to new seating or the layout of the stadium, you know, a new scoreboard the past few years. Uh, but, uh, it's a very quaint stadium, but in, it's like you said, it is very laid back. Um, and the, you know, the, the backdrop behind it is, is very nice. And, uh, um, you know, I would rank it definitely within the top three stadiums in the Appalachian League, you know, and you mentioned the ball, ballpark digest, uh, competition. I'm trying really hard. I mean, that would be amazing <laughs> if we could, you know, somehow pull that out. Uh, so I'm voting every day and trying to get everybody I know to vote and, uh, you know, hopefully we could, could make it, you know, that selection for 2020 as the best rookie league ballpark. But, uh, you know, Pulaski is an excellent stadium. I know that, uh, a lot of money has been invested in that uh, stadium over the years, but, uh, you know, I say we're in the top three in the league. I know the city has been looking into a replacement the last couple of years. I don't really know what's going to be going on, uh, since, you know, there most likely is not going to be minor league baseball in 2021 in Kingsport. But where do you stand on the issue? Do you think that they needed a new stadium? I think at the time it was a really good idea. Uh, you know, it was part of a, a committee. Uh, the city of Kingsport had come up with a committee about uh, ways to revitalize and energize the downtown area. And one of the ideas that came out of that uh, was a new downtown uh, ballpark for the Mets and to use for other uh, events during the off season. Um, I really do think that that would have proceeded if it wasn't for the, uh, the real possibility of the team contraction, you know, that's being discussed with minor league baseball. Um, I don't think that'll happen now at this point. I think that that plan has kind of been shelved, um, you know, given that and the COVID-19 crisis, of course, but, uh, you know, it was a great idea. It had a lot of support, um, and it, I, I do believe it would have happened given, the, you know, this current situation we're in. Mm. So Major League Baseball sticks to their plan, and by all counts, they are. Um, King Sports not going to have a baseball team 2021. Possibly with the exception of Pulaski, the entire Appalachian League is going to be gone. And that whole area, you know, where Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, where they all come together, is not going to have local baseball. Obviously, there's a financial impact to it, but I think that there's also more to it than just the money. Um, how do you think that the loss of all these teams is going to affect the area just in terms of, I don't know the best word to put it is, morale or something to that effect? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's really going to hurt. I mean, yeah, the economic impact is, is one aspect of it. And, uh, all the local cities here stand to lose a lot of money. I know uh, in Kingsport, the Mets generally have a $1 million a year impact, maybe a little bit more. Uh, and other teams in the league have a, a similar impact. So, I mean, there's that aspect of it. But um, the community aspect of it is another thing. I mean, uh, the outreach that these, that the Kingsport Mets, um, 
do each summer with uh, local youth groups and uh, different things like that, I mean, you're taking that away. Um, you're taking away uh, an affordable entertainment venue for a lot of people. Um, and, and that hurts, especially in this area. You know, there's not necessarily that much to do. And, um, you know, having minor league baseball has always been a staple for our community, you know, saying that, you know, here in Kingsport, we have a professional team. Um, that's a, that's a great commodity. Uh, so, and especially even for me, I mean, this has been my passion for the 20 years and, uh, uh, you know, I'm holding out hope. I know it's probably not going to happen, but, you know, there's been talks of, uh, you know, potentially having, uh, uh, another type of league come in or something like that. But, uh, it's a real shame that, you know, that they would consider doing this to these communities. And uh, I think that uh, the people aspect and the community aspect, they haven't really looked at that. And unfortunately, I think all this really comes down to money. And uh, that's that's a real shame. Yeah. Um, so you have a petition online on change.org, Save the Appalachian League. Um, if you haven't People who are listening, if you haven't signed it already, please do so. Uh, it has almost 3,000 signatures now, which is pretty impressive, I must say. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I, you know, that's something that when, when all this got started and it was mentioned, you know, I wanted to put something together. I mean, this is one person, me doing anything, you know, trying to do something. Uh, I do urge people to, to sign that. I mean, you know, at least you can have your voice made that way. Um, I've also spoken with, uh, you know, our local government here in the city, uh, the mayor's office and the county, uh, the county commissioner's office. Uh, I've also spoken with, uh, our, uh, congressman, uh, U.S. Congressman Phil Rowe, um, and, and in regards to what, you know, Congress can possibly do. And I know that they have, uh, uh, you know, committed to doing what they can, but, you know, a lot of this is really out of their hands, but, you know, still the people, uh, do need to speak up. So, you know, I would urge that people contact, uh, their local representatives, you know, even write, uh, you know, write to the Appalachian League, uh, president, write to minor league president, uh, you know, let your opinion be known and, you know, that taking away such a amazing sport, uh, from, from these communities, not just here in Kingsport, but everywhere else that's potentially going to be affected. It's really going to be a great loss. Yeah, that to me, the, the out, not the outreach, but the efforts that people put in to make their opinions known show that, that shows to me that, you know, baseball and in particular minor league baseball is really like the heart and soul of America because you have communities all over the country that are going to be impacted by major league baseball's plan that are calling their local politicians, the mayor, city officials, state officials, congressmen, senators, you know, even, even as high as, you know, former presidential candidates, um, you know, and, and it right. goes across the political spectrum and everything. And it just shows that, you know, it is the soul of this country. It really is. I mean, you know, uh, we're very fortunate to have such an amazing sport here. And uh, I, mean, I think Kingsport, you know, I think you mentioned earlier that it's one of the oldest affiliates. And I think it's like the seventh or oldest affiliate with the Mets in minor league baseball, something like that. I know we're definitely in the top 10. Um, so, you know, you're taking away a staple, something that's been around forever. And, uh, you know, I just don't know if they really consider the, humanity of of this decision you know going to a ballpark and uh seeing these games seeing these players more importantly seeing other fans and they're you know these small kids you know they look up to these guys they stay after the game to get signatures and, and for the most part all the players are are very you know very open to that and uh you just it's just hard for me to think that they'd want to take that away from 42 communities and it's very discouraging for that because uh, minor league baseball is is definitely a part of the city of Kingsport and the whole league. And there's a lot of people that will be impacted if uh, if they eliminate it. Well, Mark, thank you for your time. Uh, everybody out there is definitely worth following on Twitter. You can find him at KMetsFan. And Mark, I think you should definitely write a book because you are... <laughs> 
you are a repository of knowledge when it comes to the Appalachian League. I don't think that there's anybody out there that can match you on that. Well, I appreciate that. Like I said, you know, the past 20 years have been amazing, and maybe one day I will uh, uh, take you up on that. So, But uh, appreciate you having me and, uh, you know, just help spread the word on, on saving minor league baseball in these communities, and, you know, maybe maybe we can do it. Mark, thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvahos343. Ken is at Ken Lavin91. And Thomas is at said Met Season SCN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. But until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Thank you.